0: We're back with On Second Thought from GPB. I'm Virginia Prescott. The photograph of a young Afghan woman with piercing green eyes and a tattered red hijab is one of the most indelible images of the 20th century. You can probably picture it. Well, 20 years after taking that photo in a refugee camp in 1985, Stephen Curry said he still got inquiries about the Afghan girl every day. There's certain photographs which have struck a chord in... I was very happy that several people told me uh, that they had actually volunteered to go work in Pakistan in refugee camps based on that picture. That image first appeared on the cover of National Geographic and is part of the inspiration for Tidal Flats, the debut novel by Columbus-based author Cynthia Newberry Martin. It tracks a couple's conflicting needs for adventure and stability. And Cynthia is talking about the book tonight for the writers at the Wrecking Ball series in Atlanta, but joins me now in the studio. Hello and welcome.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: Well, your book is a work of fiction. So you altered the timing and the subject of that image of the Afghan girl for your plot. But the photo really is critical in some ways. Do you recall when you first saw it?
1: I don't remember when I first saw it. It seems to like always have been in my consciousness. Uh, I believe at the time in the 80s, we had a subscription to National Geographic. So it would have actually been around. Uh, but when I went to do just the initial research on Afghanistan, there it was. And it's just an amazing—it grabs you, those, those eyes. There's so much that he, as a photojournalist, is able to do with one photograph, one moment—
0: yeah, and as we heard, people really took it to heart. She yes. was in a Pakistani camp at an Afghan girl, and many people went to go and help. You went somewhere else with it. And let's talk about how it fits into the book, because a photojournalist is one of the main characters. Ethan Graham, he's the husband in this couple. Who is he, and who is the subject of that photograph?
1: Ethan uh, uh, went to Georgia State and wanted to be a photojournalist. At first, he couldn't get a job, so he uh, CNN sent him to cover the war. And while he was there covering the war, he happened upon uh, a, a group of women in a school, and managed to uh, take photos inching by inch up to get her picture. And when she turned around, it was her. Amber eyes. And so she is a young woman. She's older. And there was such power in that moment that it affected him. And he,
0: this woman, we come to know her name is Satara, if I'm saying that properly. And um, they become partners in a, an NGO, a nonprofit. Um, she is the, the actual woman in the Stephen Curry photograph was disabled through retinal research in 2002 many, many years later. So that's a whole story in itself. But the story here is that she is a woman that is powerful, beautiful, yes. um, and to Cass, the the wife of Ethan, um, you know, she can have a baby and still go on and <laughs> save the world. It's something that she feels very jealous of. And this is part of Ethan's connection to the people and place of Afghanistan and, and pull to keep going back there. The main tension of the relationship with his wife, Cass, who's never been. Why is Afghanistan such a complicated place for her?
1: For Cass? Well, I think it just represents uh, Ethan not with her. That is Ethan's other love. Uh, I believe she thinks that that's who she's competing with. Yeah. Um, he ta- and Afghanistan takes Ethan away from her and leaves her by herself. So there's that as well.
0: And her father also was fighting in Afghanistan, yes. left for Afghanistan over and over again. Everybody is leaving for someplace else in her mind, I think she says at one point. So she's a little jealous of Satara or maybe for his passion for the place. Um, realizes she's being a little childish, uh, but it feels very real to her. And let's get a little more on Cass. Or her real given name is Mary Cassatt Miller after the painter Mary Cassatt. Her mother's a frustrated artist, and she has a really complicated relationship with her. How does that affect how she
1: sees the world and relationships? Well, uh, Cass, uh, she has a lot to get over with her childhood, Um, and actually the same as Sitara. Sitara had a troubled childhood, and she rose up out of it. And Cass is struggling with her childhood, uh, and she... We don't see it actually in the book, but she is almost becoming reclusive until she uh, stumbles upon uh, this advertisement and then discovers the fates and her love, um, her love of taking care of these three unusual older women uh, in Atlanta. So uh, that's where she that's that helps pull her out of herself. Mm-hmm. That's the beginning of pulling her out of herself.
0: Well, it's interesting because her mom says to her at one point, "Like I never wanted kids."
1: <laughs> That's a horrible thing
0: to say. In fact, I think it's when she first gets her period, so she's becoming a woman, and her mother basically says, "Well, I did, I never wanted kids. You you'll be smarter than I am." So, and you know, things actually later is revealed that things didn't end well for her mother. Um, but she, Cass is making her a project to want kids. You know, her husband wants kids. Ethan wants kids. And therein lies the rub. And the title, Title Flats, is not exactly a exactly a place, uh, but it's an agreement, a pact. What What's the agreement between them?
1: The agreement is uh, Ethan wants children. Cass does not. Uh, Cass wants a husband who comes home at night. But, of course, Ethan, Ethan's job takes him back and forth to Afghanistan. But They both want a life together. And so Ethan comes up with an idea that if he can just go back and forth to Afghanistan for three years, then at the end of that time, he'll come home whether Cass wants children or not. But during this time that he's gone, Cass is supposed to be working on wanting children. Mm -hmm. And so the book actually opens uh, nine weeks before he's supposed to come home for good. And it's clear immediately that uh, it's unclear whether he's going to actually come home.
0: You know, I hear about couples who make these kind of packs. Like, you get five years in this place, and then I get five years in that place. Is that something that you've ever negotiated in your relationship?
1: Uh, not exactly that. I mean, they, the... They're adhering to it super strongly. <laughs> they are. I did, as a matter of fact, when my last child left for college back in 2012, I had been working on the negotiations, and I had been uh, taking care of children for 31 years, which is a long time to have children uh, taking care of them on a daily basis. So I was ready for something new. So in January of 2013, I started going uh, back and forth to Provincetown once a month for a week at a time to have some writing time and just breathe the New England air, and that is when I started this novel, so that was percolating in my head as I was writing this. Yeah, that's right at the
0: very tip of Cape Cod. It is. Beautiful, beautiful place in Provincetown. It figures into this uh, book in some kind of ways. My guest is Cynthia Newberry martin She's a Columbus-based author, and her new novel is called Tidal Flats, and she's kicking off the Writers at the Wrecking Bar series for September tonight in Atlanta, well, so in her mind, Cass's mind, all these men that she loves are leaving her. And at this point in her life, her mother is dead. So you mentioned the fates. Let's get to some of the maternal input in her life, which is just wonderfully rich. Uh, this is at Howell House. First, what is Howell House?
1: Howell House is uh, a home that originally belonged to an individual. And when Hattie Howell died, she left it uh, to a foundation to provide uh, housing and a home for three older women. So that is where Cass works, and she loves these unusual women. And um, calls them the Fates. Yes, she does. Uh, she in the story, uh, it's not clear how they got that name. They had that name before Cass ever appeared on the scene but when I was writing it I was thinking okay I have three women and of course I originally went to Macbeth and uh, the witches yes. and I thought that that doesn't feel right and so then I was thinking maybe the Greek fates so I put um, knitting needles in May's hands and a measuring cup in Lois's hands and scissors in Ada's hands.
0: Well, they did. One of them has somewhat witchy powers.
1: <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> she's, she's good
0: at sort of predicting the future or, you know, otherworldly. And they bring this kind of richness to her and this, you know, this triumvirate of female wisdom of experience. But still, Cass is suffering a lot uh, with being alone. And, and there's a lot in this book about the nature of being alone and some exquisite literary references to help us through. Her friend V gives her Mae Sarton's book, The Journal of Solitude. I'd love for you to read a bit about that kind of interaction between the two of them.
1: Sure. Yeah. The part I'm going to read uh, takes place. Ethan is in Afghanistan, and it's evening, and V has dropped by Cass's apartment with a six-pack of beer. And so they're just sitting around talking. Growing up, I got so good at alone. Then I got married and thought alone was over. I let my guard down, and now it's hit me all over again. Aren't you lonely? Sometimes, V said, but I'm rereading May Sarton's Journal of a Solitude. I love that book, and I refuse to let loneliness have its way. When you gave me a copy of that book, Cass said, I thought it was going to be a how-to, a triumph of solitude, that I would find the answer on how to be at peace when you're by yourself. But instead, there was just the struggle. She seems to always be struggling. There is nothing to do, there is nothing to be done, but go ahead with life, moment by moment, and hour by hour. Put out birdseed, tidy the rooms, Try to create order and peace around me, even if I cannot achieve it inside me. That's kind of how to. Not in my world, Cass said. Life is not really as black and white as we would like it to be. Half his heart is over there.
0: Yeah, so she's referring, of course, to Ethan, half as hard as over there. But that little quote from Mae Sarton, you know, just like, go piece by piece, little by little in your life. I, th- I thought you were very good at writing about loneliness. Is that <laughs> is that an experience you've had a lot or, you know, taking care of kids for 31 years, something you craved?
1: It is, in fact, something I crave. I, I thought it was from having taken de- taking care of children for so long. But actually, when I look back, I have always needed a lot of alone time, an enormous amount of alone time. Mm-hmm. I grew up in a house with um, sisters and a brother, three sisters and a brother. And I um, even when I left for college, I requested a single room. And after my first child was born, I took a trip to Paris for a week by myself, and I kept doing these kinds of things. So it's been, it didn't just come from having children. It's been there all along.
0: Another uh, reference in this book is Rumi over and over again. Uh, Cass's father leaves her, or he's left behind a book of Rumi's poems. And there's a bit from Rumi on emptiness. Don't think you must avoid it. It contains exactly what you need. So what is Cass learning here? Is she working her way through, you know, that it's not black and white, there's not someone here or gone, that there's something else going on? What were you exploring there?
1: I think uh, in Tidal Flats is in part Cass's journey uh, to learn more about herself. I think that her difficult childhood, with her father being away and her mother being so unhappy taking care of her, she closed down, and uh, and that she we see her in this novel begin to understand that there's there's she doesn't have to be shut down, and that if she maybe opens her heart a little bit, uh, she can find rediscover who she was. Uh, as a child, and uh, rediscover the joy, perhaps, and uh, uh, maybe get used to being alone. Mm-hmm. And she, she she learns, she does some walking, that's how she figures things out, so that's one way she's uh, starting to move out of herself, like out of being isolated and in an apartment by herself. Out into the world,
0: right, and and away from that illusion of control. I think she says at one point, you know, like being alone, you can control everything, right? And of course, uh, everybody's—you can control everything if you're sitting on a mountaintop all all by yourself. Well, so many things happen. There's lots of danger, suspense, revelations, and pushback. Um, And there's, of course, the local hot bartender who's made himself available (laughs) to Cass. In his absence, but there's a lot of identity tied up for both of them staying in their positions. You know, like, I want this, you want this. What is at risk for Ethan if he doesn't keep going back? What what, what about his identity?
1: Well, that's a good question, because I do think that, um, you know, everybody sees Ethan as the Afghan woman right, guy. They
0: want him to go back. They they want that guy.
1: Yes, and I, I just think he makes it clear at the beginning that uh, he wants more than that and he he doesn't want that to be his whole life and yet I mean so he's going back and forth with it and uh, so it's difficult it's difficult for each of them but they're fighting for their own uh, what is important to them and uh, I think that's um, I think you know and is marriage can marriage Move and uh, shift shapes and expand to handle this kind of a back and forth, Uh, and we'll see. (laughs) Yeah, but that is
0: what gets revealed here, and that it's a lot about the things that push us to know ourselves, and um, whether we'll pursue them unless we're pushed up against a wall.
1: (laughs) Is that true for you? Is that is that the takeaway? I think the takeaway is that we, no matter what happens, we always have a choice. And uh, I think that the, we can see that throughout. But it's it's really, you know, it, at one point, you know, is, is the life you want more important than the person you love? And uh, they each have to make that choice. Well, thank you so much for speaking with us about your new
0: book, and congratulations on it. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And it's an opportunity for us to play some Afghan pop from Ariana Saeed Hairana. as we thank Cynthia Newberry-Martin. Her book is called Tidal Flats, and she's kicking off the September edition of the Writers of the Wrecking Ball series, Tonight at 7. Details are at GBB. Org. And coming up, the Sim- Savannah Symphony has a new director. Sarah Zasla talks with him when On Second Thought continues.